Welcome to Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. If you're ready for inspiration and tips to improve your life, hear what some of the fascinating minds of today have to say. Our hope is that you'll live your passion and inspire the world. And now, here is your host, Allison H. Larson. Good morning and welcome to Spotlight. So excited to have you joining us today. I have a special guest today here in studio. And you know what? I would def I definitely can say, literally, mm-hmm. I would not be here without this man. So it, that's it's, right. Because he's my dad. <laughs> so anyway, really excited to introduce our special guest today, Jay Hildebrand, who also happens to be my father. And as I thought about what guests to have on for today's show, my parents are here. My dad just retired in November at Thanksgiving um, after being a newscaster and being in broadcasting for 42 years. And before that, even really, you've had a whole career in media. Right. And so I thought, wow, he's, he's really the expert that I want to interview. And actually, when I very first got started, in TV and radio, people were always so impressed with how naturally, I'm doing air quotes, naturally good I was. <laughs> and I think it was because I grew up uh, watching you, Dad. So really excited to have you here today. Well, I'm delighted to be here with you. And I know there are some people that are going to want to know some some things about me from growing up. Oh. But we're going to start. We're going to start first by introducing you, and um, just take, taking a little more time to talk about some of the things that you've done um, over your career in in broadcasting and communications. Yeah. So, what are some of the highlights you want to share? Well, I, should I kind of give a rundown of my background? Yes, I, I would love that. I actually started when I was five years old on television. They, I grew up in Milwaukee, and my dad was a amateur director. Uh, of, of plays um, and things. And so we, uh, they decided uh, when they put on a new TV station, Channel 18 in Milwaukee, they wanted a children's afternoon TV show. Yeah. And so they asked my father to put that together, and it was called The Cookie Show. It was for kids, and my brother was 12. He was Cookie. My sister was 14. She was Candy. I was five, and I was Little Crown. Oh, so cute. And we did, we did little <laughs> skits and, and um, music. My brother played the ukulele. We showed some Laurel and Hardy clips of, and cartoons and things, as well as doing some entertaining skits and things. So that was my introduction to broadcasting, five well, years old. And I think that's so fun. You know, it it's interesting to me because you've never really been camera shy, obviously. Yeah. You're, you're comfortable in front of a crowd of people, and I think it's probably because you started so young. I think the same thing was true for me growing up, just... Um, you know, I think you took a lot of pictures and video, mm-hmm. and I just got used to, to being in front of camera all the time. So right. I think there's something about starting out really young. So you were a TV star at five years old, <laughs> starting as a little crumb on this variety show. And then then what? what well, then I, um, we, did, we did a community theater. was in lots of plays. And then when I was 12, they asked me to be the juvenile voice for the Wisconsin Council of Safety. Oh, wow. And we did PSAs. Uh, I would say, drivers, give us kids a break. Watch out for us on our bikes and things like that. That from when I was uh, 12 to about 14, then I got fired because my voice started to change. I didn't oh, sound like a little it. kid anymore. So <laughs> you're too old. <laughs> yeah, and then went went on, and uh, you know, I, I wasn't sure exactly what I I wanted to do with my life, but mm-hmm. but you know, media broadcasting was always something I was uh, kind of interested and passionate about. So yeah, I pursued that in college. Well, I love that. And and I know there was, a, you, we were talking about the show yesterday, and I said, I'd love if you could just share that moment in time, that pivotal point where you decided that um, going into broadcasting and newscasting was the thing for you. I'd love to, to have yeah. you share that. Well, and you know, I can, I know the precise moment when I decided for sure that's what I wanted to do. Uh, my brothers are both attorneys, so I thought that might be interesting. One yeah. was a communication attorney. I uh, really loved my, uh, my orthodontist when I had my... Uh, 
my teeth straightened. They, yeah. It was Marquette Dental School, and there were all these young students there. I, I got a new one about every six months, and I thought that'd be neat to be an orthodontist. But as I thought about it more, I wasn't so sure. You know, those were things I wanted to do. I thought of of media. Well, what what happened is I was on my mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints in Germany, in Wuppertal, Germany, at the particular time when it was almost time for me to complete my two years mm-hmm. and go back to BYU to to uh, school where I had already gone for two years, but I had to decide at that point what I wanted to take, what classes I needed to sign up for when I returned. And so I was you know, I was in kind of a, a spiritual frame of mind as a missionary in any case. And so I was really seeking for some kind of inspiration, answer to prayer. What should I do? Should I go into broadcasting or should I be an orthodontist or go into law? And I still remember sitting in this chapel in Wuppertal, Germany, when there was a little media presentation, a slideshow where the church president, President Kimball, was saying, you know, this is a great message, you know, the, the gospel message. And so, um, you know, in the old days, they had people like King Benjamin and prophets who would speak from towers to reach lots of people. Yeah. And then the next slide showed a TV tower. And it oh, says, wow. now we can reach millions of people from different kinds of towers to bring forth, you know, positive messages. And I thought, that's what I want to do with my life. You know, not that I wanted to be a preacher on TV, but I knew that as a newscaster, you could find positive stories. You could help people um, get messages about important things that were going on and issues. And I thought, that's what I want to do with my life. And that's what I did and have never regretted it. Wow. And I love that. And one of the things that I love about um, listening to your particular newscast growing up, and I know you did a lot of production with it too, and um, mm-hmm. what stories were aired, you had a lot of say in that. And, and I was just talking with someone the other day about the news and how depressing it can be and how, you know, sometimes you turn on the news and all you see and all you hear about is all the catastrophes, mm-hmm. all the disasters, and you end up watching and you feel so depressed. And I thought, <laughs> well, I never felt that way growing up. And I remember you telling me, a long time ago that you actually, um, when you were deciding on a newscast, you actually would make sure there was a positive story in between if there was any negative stories. So right. could you tell me a little bit more about how you decided to do that? And- well, um, part of it is in Idaho Falls, Idaho, there's not a whole lot of really awful news going on. There's not on. a lot of, you know, crime. And <laughs> that's right. You know, like maybe that. that's true. There's a murder a year. That's that's big, big news. Yeah. And of course, you'd have to cover those kinds of things. But one of the things we did um, when I was in Idaho Falls, we for sure, we did at the end of the show I, um, something called Good News, you yeah. know, where it was a featurey little story um, of, you know, usually involving kids or animals or something like that. So we always ended on a good note. But even throughout the newscast, people would say, oh, news is all bad. Well, I, I did some studies. I went through the newscast. And I, I put a plus or a minus or a zero next to a story. Plus, yeah. man, it, was a, it was a positive, good story about, you know, something good about kids or teachers. A negative meant it was really sad, kind of tragic. Yeah. And a zero was just kind of information. Neutral, you know, there's, a, yeah. there's a school board meeting coming up, and they'll yeah. be discussing this or that. And it was overwhelmingly, it was either a plus or a zero, and not all that many negatives, at least not in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Yeah. And um, and we would try to look for the good news. We'd cover the bad because that was our job too, but we'd, we'd look for good stories as well. Well, and I, I know um, a lot about your career, obviously. Yes. I was, I was there, you know, my whole life you've been a newscaster. and You were able to do some really amazing things. Um, I know that you actually brought Wednesday's child to Idaho Falls, and you actually won the Angel and Adoption Award along with Mom for your, your work for Wednesday's Child and also the work in the foster 
foster care program, but could you you tell us a little bit about um, Wednesday's Child and what it was and, and why it was so important to you to bring that to the news? Yes, well, it, this was a program I'd seen on some other TV stations uh, in my career back in the in the 80s. And I thought, what a great use of these this resource. You can reach thousands of people, tens of thousands of people in our case. We have usually about 25,000 viewers in Idaho Falls. And so Wednesday's Child, these we would feature a child each Wednesday who was in the foster care program, anywhere from like 3 to 16 years old, who would not be going back with their birth parents and needed a permanent adoptive home. Yeah. So I would go out with them every week, a different child, and we'd go to the zoo or play baseball or football or do something fun so that they'd be featured in a, in a positive light so people could see what they looked like. And then I talked to them about their interests, if, you know, if they wanted to be adopted, what it would mean to them to have a loving family of their own. And oh, we did this for about 30 years. Uh, and hundreds of children got adopted because someone would see them, this two or three minute segment and think that child belongs in my home. Yeah. Well, and it was neat because as you retired, they did this series leading up to your retirement where they actually went back and interviewed some of the children yes. that were adopted. So I think that was such a profound way to use um, your career to make a positive impact on mm -hmm. people. And I know you did distinguished student awards where you celebrated students and yes. had some other just amazing yeah. um, opportunities to make an impact and celebrate people that were really doing good in the community. Absolutely. Um, I also know that you got to interview some pretty cool people throughout <laughs> your career. So what were some of the people? Well, first of all, I want to ask, you know, just on paper, what were some of the most impressive people or interviews that you were able to do during your career? Um, well, I, I would say I, I interviewed the first President Bush, Bush or uh, George H.W. Bush, one-on-one. -on -one, and that was uh, fairly early in my career. I think it was about 32 years yeah. old. <clears throat> and that was really, really neat to be able to do that. Other, you know, I've in interviewed all of our governors in Idaho, yeah. other candidates um, interviewed um, Mitt Romney. Yeah, that was uh, cool. And actually, you guys are, are distant cousins. Yes. And I looked this up after everybody <laughs> kept saying, your dad and Mitt Romney look so much alike. You came to visit me at church one, one time when I lived in Boise, Idaho, and there was a big Mitt Romney fan there. And for a second, he thought you were Mitt Romney. I think he peed his pants. But he said, you know, your dad looks so much like Mitt Romney. So I actually looked it up. You're related to him. So, uh -huh. so am yes. I, I guess. Yes, well. but, um, but yeah, those, those are all really impressive. And You've been interviewed by some impressive people, Barbara Walters, Peter Jennings. Well, actually, yeah. Well, when we uh, we switched back in 1996 from an NBC to an ABC mm -hmm. affiliate, and so they sent us back to New York, and actually I interviewed them. Oh, okay. And asked them about, you know, what their jobs were like, you know, what was about ABC that would benefit, you know, people watching. Okay. And, and so I was very intimidating, especially interviewing Barbara Walters, oh, the master of yeah, interviews. No I, but I got some good <laughs> tips from her, and we'll probably get into that later yeah. on how to do interviews. Well, good. Yes, and we definitely will. I'm having so much fun talking about uh, this. And by the way, if you're listening on Facebook Live and you have any questions for my dad, either about what he does or if you want to know any things about me growing up, then feel free to ask those questions. We might have time to get into that in a little bit. Um, but I wanted to um, as well ask you, so you have these people that obviously presidents and presidential candidates and, and uh, politicians that you interviewed over the years. I know you interviewed some of the, the presidents and apostles of the LDS Church, which yes. is also a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, but what were some of the most profound interviews that you did? Is there anything that really sticks out in your mind as far as a news story or an interview over the years? Well, you know, actually, the, the most profound ones were the children that yeah. I talked to, the, the Wednesday's children. I remember one little girl named Samantha. We had traveled to Seattle. We traveled around the mm -hmm. Northwest, and, and she was, um, oh, I think she was 14 years old, and she wasn't 
real – she was kind of unkempt and she was chewing gum the whole time. And, and uh, But then the interview was just amazing. She said, you probably notice I'm chewing gum. I love to chew gum. And, <laughs> and I said later, you know, why is it important to have a loving, caring family? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, well, without a loving and caring family, you can get a good education in your mind. Mm-hmm. But unless you have a good, loving, and caring family, you can't get a good education in your heart mm. as well. Oh, wow. And, and this was probably 15, 20 years ago. And I still remember that uh, that comment from little Samantha. Oh, that's so neat. And I know that you actually, we went on to become a foster family. Um, and you and mom ended up becoming foster parents. Right. Was part of that due to these children that you were um, interviewing during uh, those interviews? Or was it? Um, I think that had that had um, a lot to do with it, actually, yeah. knowing that not only were, was there a need for adoptive parents, but for foster parents. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It just it just felt like the right thing to do that we could serve that way. That we had a had the resources to do that, and that we had wonderful children that uh, took them <laughs> in. And in fact, I think I think it was a good experience for you kids yeah, too. Yeah, I, I really loved it. I I definitely remember some stories. Um, with these different foster kids growing up and the ways that they touched my heart and, mm-hmm. and um, always really admired you and mom. And I know that you made a huge impact on their lives as well. So I wanted to bring that up because one of the things I admire a lot about you and a lot of the questions I get when we're talking about media is, you know, how do you really show up and um, and still have that heart of gold? And I think you're such a great example of being someone who is in the public eye, somebody who had a lot of attention. You know, I remember going different places and, and people would people would just be like, oh, Jay Hildebrand, you know, as we're walking around Idaho Falls. I mean, you really were a local celebrity. I remember one girl, you were in the parade every 4th of July, and she literally, I think, passed out when she saw you. She was so so excited. Or I remember being in, I remember one time we were in Kitzbühel, Germany, or maybe it was Austria. Salzburg. Oh, yeah, sorry, Kitzburg. Kitzbühel, Austria. Austria. Yes, I can talk. <laughs> and we were just walking down the street and, you know, people were just passing by. And a, a boy about my age came up. I was 17, I think, at the time. And he said, Jay Hildebrandt. He said, I'm a foreign exchange student here from Idaho <laughs> Falls. And so anywhere we went in the world, people would recognize you and know you. But I've always really uh, felt like you've used that influence and that impact for good and to, to help people. So I really appreciate that. And I don't know if you have any tips or, or secrets for how you were able to do that or how you kept that, you know, heart, your heart in the right place and didn't let it all go to your head. What were your, do you have any thoughts about that? Oh, boy, I, I think, you know, you just have to take a step back and <laughs> people laugh about, um, was it Ron Burgundy and Anchorman saying, I'm really a pretty big deal here in San Diego. <laughs> and I think if you, if you start thinking that way, then, uh, you don't have the proper perspective on, on life. You're, yeah. You know, I, I feel like just a regular person. Um, and in fact, my friends and people in the neighborhood, they'd be around when someone would, would you know, make a big deal out of, you know, seeing the local anchorman. They, say, they would say, huh, they think you're a big deal, but I know you're, you're just Jay. You know, <laughs> you're just a neighbor. <laughs> you're, just, yeah. you're just a neighbor. Well, uh, thank you so much for, for bringing that up. And we've got just... Um, 
a couple of minutes here um, until break. It looks like we've got got about one minute till break. And, and um, there are a couple of people that asked me, knowing that you were going to be on the show, to, mm-hmm. if you would share some things um, about me growing up. So here's my question to you. When I started in media, you know, everybody said, oh, you're such a natural. Did you notice this talent in me when I was a young girl? Oh, I just, I just looked the other day at um, a home video we did in Jackson, Wyoming. <laughs> and this was when you were five years old, I think. And it was before we even really had home video cameras because so long ago, but I had my work camera with me because yeah. I was covering the parade in Jackson and took the took the kids with me. And, and I said, I, you know, I pretended to interview and I said, well, Allison, what, what do you think about uh, our time in Jackson? Well, Allison rambled on for like five minutes. I love being in Jackson, and I'm so glad I got this little drum, and Jackson Hole is really nice, and, and, and just didn't want to stop. So what you're saying is I've never really been camera shy. <laughs> that's never for sure. Been for lack of words, so right there. There you go, folks. Uh, that's, uh, I guess, you know, people say, well, are you, are you born? They say the number one fear is the fear of being on stage, you know, mm-hmm. number one fear, even above death, people are afraid <laughs> of being in front of people. I've just never really had that fear. So maybe you're, maybe you're born with it. Maybe Who you're, knows? you're bred with it. So, um, so, uh, we've got time for one more story, actually. Do you have oh, yes, any, I, anything I, else you want to share? I this is, I but, think this is our yeah, time so to indulge about This is kind job. of a, a secret that not many people know about this about Allison, oh, boy. but. She this, has, am I on board with you? She has a, a twin sister oh, gosh. named <laughs> Pinky. <laughs> my dad used to do this, and I thought it would be kind of fun. We'd, we would take a picture of you know, Allison on this half of the, of the um, picture and then another picture of her on this half of the picture, kind of looking at, in this different directions. So they were looking at each other. And then we would actually develop the physical film mm-hmm. and – cut the picture in half and and tape it together so it looked like there was Allison and Allison. <laughs> and I showed it to Allison one, one time afterwards and I said, well, look, that's your twin sister. And she said, oh yeah, her name is Pinky. <laughs> well, and I remember being very young and growing up and telling people I had a twin sister named Pinky and they said, well, well what happened to her? I said, she tragically died in a car accident. thing. But yes, um, but yeah, that's funny. I think I still have that picture, but that was really, that was always really fun. It was fun to grow up too in a, just a media family and, yes. and, and have those fun experiences. So, all right, well, we're going to go to break now. Enough about me. When we come back from break, uh, my dad is going to be sharing some tips for media, how to do sound bites and segments in media. And this is helpful for if you're being interviewed, if you're on media, or if you're doing an interview. And also, if just if you're networking or even talking to your kids. I mean, who wants a parent that rambles on and on, right? <laughs> so uh, these are tips that are useful all around. We also have coming up Lori Richens, who will be doing our Family First segment. And Lori and my dad actually got to know each other a year ago. Um, when uh, my dad came as my date to uh, the Big City Summit that I was doing. And Lori yeah. was there being a speaker, so they got to know each other. I know she's really excited to be on the show with you, got to reconnect again at my daughter's wedding. So really excited to have Lori on. All, all those fantastic things coming up right after break. I'm Allison Larson, and you've been listening to Spotlight. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. 
It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We get Guaranteed, it will be the best hour of your week. Get ready for High Vibin' It with hosts Lindsay Robinson and Kelsey Aida. This is an all-new look at self-empowerment and lifestyle design. If you're still trying to figure out the law of attraction, spirituality, self-love, and more, we'll break it down for you. You can create the life of your dreams and own your power. Listen for High Vibin' It. We're live every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. This will be one hour you will make time for. Do you feel you have a bigger life's purpose than you're currently living? Of course you do. Activate your passion as you tune in to Sovereign Self with host Sophia Renea Morales. Become the conscious creator of your own life. Connect with your most powerful and purposeful self in order to make big things happen for you now. Sophia and her guests are doing this every day and are sharing how you can step into this power too. Listen to Sovereign Self every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. You're tuned in to Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. To find out more about Allison and our program, please visit soulintuition.com. Again, that's soulintuition.com. Now back to Spotlight. Here is Allison H. Larson. All right, we are back. And I'm so excited to have my dad here in studio today. For those of you just joining us, I'm interviewing my dad, who happens to be have been in media since you were five years old, right. really, and a newscaster <laughs> for the past 42 years. You've interviewed some pretty famous people and made huge impacts in the community, which we just heard about. And we even heard about a few little uh, secrets or stories about me growing up. So, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so we've got some comments here about Pinky. So now you guys all know about <laughs> Pinky. Um, but I, I want to get into some of the I want to get into some of the the tips that you have for people in the media. And then I'm going to bring Lori in in just a moment, too, here for our Family First segment. But I wanted to start out by by you sharing some of the things that you think are most important after doing years and decades worth of interviews and, and having some obviously be more impactful than others. It really is all about communication. If we can't communicate our message, who we are, what we do, then um, then people really won't know the greatness that's within us or the greatness that we are. So I'd love to hear some of your tips when it comes to soundbites, segments, and sharing things okay. um, on the media or just in life in general. Yeah. Well, I, I actually made some notes on this, knowing I was going to be on because, Allison, I've been to some of your presentations. And in order for people to remember your tips yeah. you'll do like acronyms i think yeah. peg yes. was one of them i yeah. forget it was like peg, peg. Yeah. what was a passion yeah I, peg your potentials write down your passions your experiences yeah. and your god-given gifts yeah. and talents yep. so I, I did some of those oh so awesome I, so as I, I see it there are really three ways we communicate in when we use when we're on camera whether okay. it's broadcasting or interviewing on the news or facebook? youtube or Anything. facebook yeah. or, po- or podcast what um whatever the case may be so for the sound bites one, if you are being interviewed, 
Mm-hmm. I came up with C. Now, this is not S-E-E, but C-E-E. Oh, C-E. Yeah, okay. so, so the C stands for, first of all, conversational and concise. Mm. And you always want to sound like you're just having a conversation with someone. You don't want to sound like you're reading a script. Uh, you don't want to sound like you're giving an oration. People people relate best if you're just sounding like you're talking right to them. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. There has been sometimes, like I remember hearing someone give a phenomenal talk one time and just thinking this information is spot on, but they were reading the whole time right. and I was bored out of my mind. And I think you're exactly right. People can get information anywhere. They mm-hmm. can go online. They can go on the internet if they're going to get information. So how you communicate that. By the way, I forgot to mention my dad's also a professor at BYU-Idaho and he teaches communication classes. So this is another thing to set you up. So have that conversation and be really concise. How do you be concise? Because I think that's, I mean, obviously that's something I've struggled with being five years old and droning on and on (laughs) about, you know, in Jackson Hole. But but, uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, especially in in my business, you know, if you're going to get a soundbite in a newscast, Mm -hmm. if if it's more than 20 seconds, I mean, they'll they'll be doing some editing. Mm -hmm. But if you ramble on, they won't be able, you won't be able to get your point across because they'll choose... I mean, you have this much information. Well, I'm thinking I'm on television here, <laughs> but you have like you have a lot you know, of information. Have, <laughs> I caught a fish this big. I mean, this much information, <laughs> and, if, and you're trying to tell it all, and it takes you five minutes to tell it. Yeah. Well, then you can only just get a, a portion on that may not be the most important. But if you can, in a, especially if it's a TV type of situation, get your message into twelve to 18 seconds, they can use the full sound bite. So, yeah. so these, are the, these are the three most important things I, I want you to know on bing, bing, bing. But if you say, well, at first there's this, and you ramble on and on, you're never going to get to points two three. and three. Well, I think that's a really good thing for everybody to practice that um, wants to be more influential is how do you shorten your message into a concise manner? And that's a really great challenge is can I do it in 20 seconds? Can yeah. I do a 20-second sound bite and still get my message across? And I think this is also useful for people just in other areas of their lives and communicating Mm -hmm. as well. Can you communicate something concisely? A mentor of mine once told me, wise people know how to make complex things simple. And so can you simplify what you have to say? So I like that. So that's C. Okay, then there there are the two E's. One of them is uh, engaged. You have to feel like you're you're engaged with, with your audience. Uh, and, and not and not distant, but <clears throat> kind of comes back to passion and, and engagement and really feel like you're communicating and, and talking with them. And then the other E kind of goes along with that, but you could be engaged somewhat without being energetic. Ooh, so engaged in, and energetic. energetic. So that's, that's the other thing. What I, I tell my public speaking students um, at BYU-Idaho in the classes I teach there, my broadcast students, you know, you it, it, when, they, when you um, are, are presenting – your energy level, if you want it to be here, what you should do is aim for up here, a mm-hmm. little, a few inches higher, and you may think that you're over-exaggerating, but when you actually look at yourself on video afterwards, you know, you think, gosh, I, th- I thought I was just over-the-top energetic, <laughs> but I wasn't. <laughs> well, it's so true. When I first started speaking on stages and being on TV, I had this, you know, thing where I would use a very small range of motion in my body language and also in my voice. And I remember thinking as people encouraged me to uh, push my comfort zone, I remember thinking I was being so exaggerated and then going back and looking at film or something Mm -hmm. and thinking, 
wow, I wasn't really at all. No. So it really is, and it may take some practice too, but I think this is powerful, not only when you're on media, but also when you're talking with, you know, crowds of people. And I think there's a certain energy level that, you know, depending on the situation is appropriate. But I've always noticed that when people have a certain engagement level and a certain energy level, I am more likely to listen to what they have to say and, and definitely be entertained. So um, could you give a tip on engagement? What how, how does somebody be more engaged, especially if they're on camera or if they're on radio and, and people aren't necessarily right there in front of them? How do they, do they maintain that engagement? Well, I th- one of the, the little tips that I, I have sometimes used is that you – a couple of things. You, If it's a camera or even it's just a microphone, you envision in that camera or you just envision in your mind you're actually talking to someone. Mm-hmm. You're, you're talking to your – I tell them to, you know, pretend it's your roommate or your girlfriend or your mom or your dad or your yeah. your spouse or whatever. And when you kind of envision you're actually really talking to a person, then that, that helps a lot there. Yeah. And I, you've always done such a good job with this. I remember going in very young from the time I was very young and, and, and stepping in and watching your newscasts every now and, the, and again. And, and it was just sometimes you alone and sometimes you and a co-host there in this huge big studio with mm-hmm. a set and like a camera. And in the early years, they actually had a, a camera operator, right. someone running the camera. And then um, in the past uh, decade, they've become electronic. So sometimes it's just you all alone in the studio talking to a camera, but yet when people flip on their TVs, it's like you're talking to them. So yeah, you just envision, envision them. And then uh, there are a few other other little tricks that, that we use. You know, I, th- I think of the emotion you want to convey for a particular mm-hmm. story. Is this happy, sad, but even more precise moments, emotions, as tragic as this, perplexing. And when you think in your mind mm, yeah, that's an true. emotion that goes along with what your message is, then... That helps too. Well, and that's that's a big tip too because when I first got started speaking and things, I thought I had to be enthusiastic about everything. So I was always smiling and always just like this all the time and really happy and bubbly. And, yeah. and it doesn't necessarily mean when you're talking about engagement, excitement, it doesn't mean that you're at the same level the whole right. time. You're trying to convey that emotion, uh, which the story holds or with, you know, what, depending on the, the whatever you're trying to convey. Um, so I think those are really, really great tips. Uh, before we bring Lori on, I do have one question. And just to wrap up the tip. So the C stands for Communicate and uh, concise. No. Um, conversational. Oh, conversational. Like you're, like you're actually conversing, right? So converse and concise. So converse, but be concise about it. Yeah, conversation. That's how you would be in a conversation. Okay. Um, then the two E's are are um, engaged. And energetic. And energetic. Well, great. Well, and hopefully after Lori does her segment, I'd love to hear some of your tips on if you're on the flip side of that, if you're the one doing the interviewing rather than the one being interviewed. But before we get to Lori, I just would love for you to share, has there ever been a time on the air when when things haven't gone quite like you wanted them to go or where there's been a a blooper in your (laughs) I try to block those from my memory, but I do. do (laughs) Can you share one of those with us? Oh, I, well, uh, I, they're just silly things, you know. When um, after I probably haven't have done ten thousand newscasts yeah. in my in my career, you know, between the five, six, and ten o'clock newscasts, and sometimes you get almost get a little bit on autopilot. Yeah, and you and you think you're you, you can do it, but but you're not quite there. Well, which one shall I tell about? Uh, <laughs> uh, probably I'll do the one where I I was um, didn't really proofread my script very well, and so I. There's a story about uh, an invasion on this golf course of these pests, and I, I just said there were this golf course was covered with tarantulas. Well, if you look at if you think of what tarantula is, 
it would sound like tarantula, but it's actually tarantula. <laughs> and, I, and I hadn't. I, I was like, what are tarantulas? <laughs> I know. I hadn't, I hadn't proofread my scripts. And, you know, I thought, oh, I, I, I got this. And I saw that, you know, tarantula. I spell it and it sounds like it would be tarantula. And then my co-anchor said, no, it's tarantula. <laughs> That's funny. I also do remember one time where you were doing like a chili <clears throat> tasting or something, a oh. soup tasting online. And uh, tell, tell, tell about that story real quick. Well, yeah, it, it, well, we were just doing recipes, but we had just heated it up in the microwave, and someone heated it up more than uh, than I had thought. So you put it in your mouth, and it burned your tongue, and oh, it was. So you were on. So you set, had to spit out the chili. Burn your tongue. You're supposed to be tasting this amazing chili. They bring it out. You've just raved about this recipe. You take a big bite. People are expecting your face to light up in delight, and instead you spit it out. <laughs> it was yes. so funny. I think that actually made like a national blooper reel for like. Yes, the Dick Clark's like, bloopers. Okay, well, very fun. All right, well, uh, okay, Lori, are you there? Absolutely. All right. Well, Lori, we've talked a little bit uh, earlier in the show about you and my dad getting to know each other over the the past year and running into my parents a couple of times. But um, Lori, of course, does our family first segment. And Lori lives in Idaho as well. Um, She lives in a different part of the state, but um, she has a a family of seven, has run for political office, is an advocate for the family. And she comes on and does our family first segment. So, Lori, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on this show and what you have to share with us today. You know, I just recently went to the movie uh, that Tom Hanks did about Mr. Rogers oh, yeah. with my husband. Yeah. And, yeah, and it was interesting because Tom Hanks was being interviewed, and he was asked uh, what he had learned while filming that show. And he said he learned to wait. And, and then he used this acronym, acronym, W-A-I-T. And then he said, this is what it means. He said he asks himself, why am I talking? Mm. And he realized that Mr. Rogers was this incredible listener, and in listening, he was able to gain a lot of life lessons. So I'm going to share a story that I had where I listened and I learned, and then I'm going to share um, with the audience what this man taught me from me being on a plane with him. Oh, I love that. So um, great. One of the things that I've realized is that God is the great orchestrator of our lives. And I pay attention to who I sit next to on a plane or I stand in line with. And and everyone has a story. Everyone has a gem of a life lesson to share. And uh, I happen to be getting... Sorry, um, I happened to be getting on this plane, and uh, it was really late, and I was sleep-deprived. And um, all of a sudden, I realized that I am not going to get any sleep, that this man is going to be talking, and I'm a talker, too, and so I kind of resigned myself to visiting. And he's a really friendly gentleman. He's older. He's wearing glasses, and he's wearing a hat, and he's got a white beard and a big smile on his face. And as he starts to randomly speak to me as a stranger, he suddenly drops this gem in in a statement. And he says, well, I'll tell you something interesting that happened to me recently. He said, I found out that I have a daughter I didn't know about from one of those ancestry kits. And what was remarkable is that he didn't know that I was one of those daughters who had found his her father from an ancestry kit. Wow. So... Yeah, it was remarkable. So my ears perked up and I said, oh, Joe, tell me more. So I listened carefully to his story and found out that he was raised in a small mining community in Nevada, and I was raised in a small mining community in Minnesota. 
and I found out that his parents had been killed when he was 20 years old, and he had this little one-month-old baby, and so he took in his his daughter, or his sister to raise, who was 15 years old, and that created some challenges, and ultimately his wife then left him and took the baby with her, and then he went through just relationship after relationship, just trying to stay a step ahead of the pain, losing his parents and just um, kind of feeling lost and floating in the world. He had depression. He dealt with anxiety. He had a lot of challenges that he was um, experiencing. And then suddenly he finds out when he's retired um, that he has this daughter that he didn't know existed. And so I sat and I listened and I listened. And finally I told him, I said, you know, I'm one of those daughters. I recently just found my dad. And I said, would you mind if I share with you from a daughter's perspective what it's like to have found her father? Can I speak on behalf of your daughter? And so he listened and he learned. And then I said, will you teach me what it was like as a father to find a daughter? And then I listened and I learned from him. And all this wisdom was being exchanged between us because I was waiting like like um, Tom Hanks had said, I learn to listen and ask questions and find out about the people that I encounter. And right before I got off the plane, the plane had landed and or was about to land. And I said, hey, Joe, can you tell me if I never see you again, if I never have a chance to encounter you again, and I look back on this conversation, what would you like me to remember about our time together? What's the what's kind of the collective um, memory that you want me to have of you? And then he gave me three really wise tidbits, and I wrote it down, and I, I said, I'm going to share what I've learned, Joe, and uh, he gave me full permission to do that. So this is what he said. He said, number one, don't spend 30 years of your life living in chaos. And he talked about what that was like for himself. Number two, he said, don't hide from your life. And number three, he said, get help, learn how to handle it. And I thought that was profound because I told him, do you know that I'm actually writing a book about helping people to handle their life and I'm a life coach. And, uh, and so it ended up being this really special time that I spent with him and time and time again as I travel and I ask questions to the people who sit next to me on the plane, I get these wonderful bits of insight and information and then I try and pass that on to others. So that's my overall lesson today. Wait and learn to listen. Ask yourself, why am I talking? And then ask people, you know, if I don't see you again, what would you like me to remember? And it's amazing what they're ultimately going to tell you. Yeah, I love that. And you know what I, I really took away from that is, is that we're always really being interviewed or have an, op- an opportunity to interview people, to listen to them, and then also to leave our legacy. What a great gift that that gentleman had to to give you three things that he learned or took away from your conversation that he had the ability to, to break those down into three concise things. And what an amazing opportunity you had to interview him on the plane. I think sometimes we think of interviews and listening to people and communications as something that you do only on TV or over the radio or on podcasts or you know, from stage, but really we have opportunity with everybody that we interact with uh, to use these these skills of being able to ask the right questions, of being able to listen. And when we do have someone listening to us, um, you know, are we communicating clearly 
uh, from our hearts what we want to to have them know about us. So thank you so much, Lori. Really enjoyed that that segment uh, that you did for for Family First. So um, and I think we've all had that opportunity to where we sit down on a plane and we think, oh, this is going to be a nice relaxing quiet plane ride. I'm going to get some shut eye and then somebody starts talking. So I'm really glad that you took the opportunity um, to talk with him and, and to take that time. So um, dad, I'd love for you to, to weigh in on this and what Lori said, and maybe for you to give us some tips on if you're doing an interview or you are, um, whether it be on the media or just sitting next to somebody on a plane. Well, I, it was interesting one way. I mentioned how we went, went back, my co-anchor and I, to New York when we um, switched to ABC from NBC and got to to be behind the scenes and I got to interview some of the big stars at that time. And I interviewed Barbara Walters and I, I said, Miss Walters, a, a pleasure for me to interview you. And she said, oh, you're part of the ABC family, now it's Barbara. So that, that kind of put me really at ease. <laughs> and then I, I said, you know, I, I don't want you to divulge any trade secrets if there are secrets here, but, you know, what what's your tip for the for doing interviews. Here's Barbara Walters, probably the masterful interviewer of all time. And she said, well, I just think of what would people like to know about the person that you're interviewing? And she had a little bit of a bio on me. So she said, you know, if I were to interview Jay Hildebrandt, I would think, how do you maintain a career and raise five kids at the same time and still have time at home and things like that because she knew that I had five kids and that that uh, you know could be challenging with the career where you're away most of the evenings and so I thought that was just a really great tip and so I, I did the acronym thing here again so yes. my other one was C C E this one is roll R O L L okay okay so the point number one here would be to do some research, just like Barbara Walters yeah. did a little bit of research on on me, and I knew about her. So if, if you're going to interview someone, know a little bit about their background and yeah. things, that, that's, that would be real important. Number two, um, it's probably a no-brainer for people like you and others who do this all the time, ask open-ended questions. Mm. Yes and no questions, you know, it's going to kill an interview right away. Well, and I think, too, as you're listening to these tips, think of an interview, but also think of those one-on-one situations, too. You know, research, obviously, if you meet somebody on the plane, you are going to be able to research them out first, but ask a little bit of questions about their background. Who are they? Get to know them a little bit. Get inside that. What might they be thinking or feeling? And then, yes, I love that tip with open-ended questions, both for formal interviews and also informal interviews. When you're talking with your kids after school, you know, do you have a good day? They can say yes or no, and that's the end of the conversation. If you say, well, tell me something that happened today, then that leaves it right. an open-ended conversation. So I, I love that tip of open-ended conversations. Yeah, when I was interviewing all these hundreds of Wednesdays children over, over the years that needed to be adopted, I would say, well, do you like zebras? You know, you're at the zoo, and they say yes. You know, <laughs> right, yeah. Great. But, you know, what are your favorite animals? You know, what do you like about the zoo? What are your favorite things to do? Yeah. You know, so op- those open-ended questions are important after you research as much as you can on them. And then the, the, the last two kind of go along, but um, they are listen and learn. Yeah. Listening is the most important one, but I need another L there to make it roll. <laughs> and, and, and learning is what, what happens when you listen. But I occasionally at the beginning of my career especially would be so nervous about trying to think, what is my next question going to be with this person I'm interviewing that I 
didn't really listen to what they had just said, and I asked them a question that they had just answered yeah. because I wasn't really paying attention to what they were well, saying. Well, it can happen in conversations, too. And, you know, I like that you bring in the learn, too, because one of the things that I heard recently – so Oprah is one of my – you know, the people that I look up to so much when it comes to these interviews, and she's just so connected with people. And, and uh, someone once said about Oprah, you know, Oprah, what makes you really great at what you do is you're not only – a good teacher, but you're also a good student. Mm. And she's constantly learning from the people that she's interviewing. So I love that you bring bring in that learn as well. So thank you. Those are really, really valuable tips. And um, I want to go back to something that you said uh, earlier. You know, Barbara Walters was talking about you having five children and, and, and having this career. And I remember growing up, people would always ask me, well, what's it like to have a famous dad? And mm. I would say, I don't know. What's it like to not have a famous child? <laughs> you know, like this was just something that was usual to me. But recently, actually, um, surrounding your retirement, there was actually a documentary done about you that's going to be airing at a film festival, correct? Yes, it's going to be um, be debuting at the LDS Film Festival in uh, Orem, Utah, on uh, the 28th of this month at 6.30 at the Sierra Theater there. Oh, yeah. I just drove by there the other day. Yeah, yeah. Just right uh, across the street from there. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. And, and that, this is this is a, a pretty big deal, uh, this this film festival. And uh, it was oh, several months ago that uh, one of my the folks I work with at BYU-Idaho, who is the department chair, Brian Howard, said, you know, you're retiring. I know that you've saved a lot of your old video and some, some of your reports. And I want to use some of that. I want to interview you. I think it would be fascinating to do a documentary on your career called Idaho's Anchorman yeah. uh, because it shows the evolution of, of television, the technology, oh, yeah. oh, this, the way funny. things are reported, the way we used to use film cameras and then have to wait you know, to get the film developed. All, all those things are, are, are just fascinating to me. And they, he felt that they were fascinating. Yeah. And so this is a 50-minute documentary that he's, he entered there, and he wants to try to pitch it to uh, PBS in Idaho. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We could do a whole thing. It was so funny watching um, as they honored you for for your your career, <laughs> seeing some of the footage of you starting out where you're, like, drawing on the weatherboard. Or yes. Casing the, and I remember – I don't know. This is a secret. I don't know if she wants me to tell, but my, my mom was actually the weather – she she did the weather for a while, the first station that you did. And I think she was pregnant with me at the time. Maybe she, that's she where I started my camera. I would <laughs> – People say, where did you start your career in camera? I can be like, well, I was in the womb. Um, but the, where I was originally going with all of this is as part of that documentary, I actually got interviewed as well as mm-hmm. um, I have three brothers and a sister. So it was me, three boys, and then my sister. Yeah. And um, and we all got interviewed about what it was like to to uh, have you be this anger man, this you know local celebrity growing up, and would love to hear. I I have not seen the documentary yet. I know you just mm-hmm. sent me the link last night, and I it was right before bed. I didn't have time to watch it, so I'm looking forward to that. But what were some of the things that uh, that the kids said about growing up with this famous dad? You know, it, it was uh, <clears throat> very similar with with all of you. Mm-hmm. You had your comment, yeah. and uh, and then Emily said said. Uh, Something very similar, you know. I, I, it, you know, it was it was their normal. You know, yeah. for someone else, it might have been a new normal. But you know, she would mention how um, you know people would would notice us at the store and things like that. Michael and and Kent and uh, they all said the, the same thing, the same general thing. Yeah. But they said um, that it was was a generally a positive experience for yeah. them. That you know, they thought that's kind of cool that people. 
you know, know my who my dad is and that they they think enough of him to want to come up and, and say yeah. hello. Um, and, and Kent even said, he, he said, you know, I, um, I felt some pressure to, um, to live up to, to that because I didn't want to do anything that would embarrass you. Kind yeah. Of thing. Well, I thought it was really cool growing up. I, I felt like there were some definitely some perks to that. Um, it was really fun. All my teachers knew who you were. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe I got some special treatment, which after I got married and um, it went to college and my last name was different, I thought teachers are treating me a little bit different. This is kind of <laughs> odd because even when I went to college, it was, you know, locally where people knew who you were. And I realized that maybe there was a little bit of special treatment around <laughs> who you were. And, uh, and I remember, you know, getting perks like a uh, passes to, to Kelly's Canyon where we went skiing yeah. and going and attending different things. One of my favorite things about growing up that I thought was so fun is actually um, I remember Holiday Travel reached out to you mm-hmm. and they said they, they did this program where they would go on these different trips and maybe you can say it better than, than I do. I'll, I'll let you explain. So what, what, did, oh, what did Holiday well, Travel it, do? Uh, they would go to TV stations. This was kind of their, their model and uh, the anchor, an anchor and their wife or husband or whatever would would uh, would sort of host this trip. But really, they have a tour guide. It was just they were using the name, and they said you can go to Europe with Jay Hildebrand and his wife Sally or his daughter Allison, and um, and so they'll be there with you. And you'd get a whole busload of people. You know, about thirty people were on our, our one to Austria, I think. And then uh, it was a win-win situation because we got to go for free because. We were the draw to get people in. The station got some uh, some advertising money for it, and the tour company got uh, got a tour and got got some money out of it also. Well, it was really cool because you took a couple of us kids. I think by the time I got to my two youngest siblings, they had stopped doing yeah. it, so I felt kind of <laughs> bad about them. But that and you would you would say you get to choose where you want to go. So I remember going the summer before my senior year. We actually went to Austria and Germany and and northern Italy, and that was really fun mm-hmm. to yeah, to be great. able to do that and, and and go on there. And of course, you speak fluent German, so that was really fun as well. So it was neat. There were definitely some some perks and benefits growing up. So um, a couple other questions for you, too, that I, that I wanted to ask. One of the things that um, I really encourage people and talk to people about doing is using their influence for good. We've talked about a couple of the things that you were able to do throughout your career with the Wednesdays children, with the um, being able to to do the, the Distinguished Student Award. What are your plans now? I mean, you still have somewhat of an influence in the, in the media and the world. You have this documentary coming out about you, but uh, what are your plans for being able to continue to to use that influence for good. That's that's a great question. <laughs> Got me a little bit Stuff off, my off, dad. <laughs> off guard on, on that one. Well, it, you know, people say, you know, what's retirement? What going to be like, or what has it been like? And it's just been two months, so it's not real. There were the holidays and some traveling, mm-hmm. so it's maybe not real representative. But I I would like to continue to teach at BYU Idaho long as they'll have me and as long as I'm, I find it interesting on both public speaking and we're calling it broadcast performance but I think I need to change the name and talk about a on-camera communication because broadcasting is kind of archaic and they do a lot more on YouTube and podcasts and things like that but a lot of the principles are the same so if I can use some of my experience to help students there learn about those things I think that that'll be beneficial um, <clears throat> as I don't know if I'll be doing much more you know, yeah, the you, actual you, broadcasting. You started about tar- start, you talked about starting a podcast. So is that yeah. something you're, you're thinking about doing as well? I, I, I kind of thought of doing something along those lines on, on some topics. And um, 
I'm just not not positive just exactly where that will go, but but uh, it, it, you were actually kind of inspired me to want to do it. Oh, hey! Because I <laughs> I, I had this goal from uh, hearing someone in 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 a conference saying that they had read this entire book of scripture and recorded it to leave as a posterity for their posterity. And I thought, no, that's kind of a neat thing, being being somewhat of hopefully a spiritual person. And then I mentioned to you that, you know, I, I could put this on CD and give it to all the kids. And you said, I don't even have a CD player at home anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought that's going to be obsolete. How can I do this? And someone said, well, I just do it in a podcast and all your family and kids can listen to it that way if they want to. Oh, I love that. Well, and and I think that's, you know, the important thing is how are you you continuing to use this um, communication skill to, to benefit? And I, I know you and mom had uh, done a little bit and put something together just for our family and was listening to it with the kids the other day. So that's really neat. Well, you know, we've only got a couple more minutes um, left in the show here. And I just I would love to wrap it up with your final thoughts on why communication is so important. And um, if there's anybody out there listening <clears throat> right now that's been been listening to or watching this show on Facebook Live, and they're they're thinking about uh, starting a podcast or a Facebook Live, or maybe they're feeling a little bit intimidated. What would your words of encouragement be to them about uh, communicating and sharing their message with the world? Well, I think nowadays it's it's so much easier to do that. You know, mm-hmm. it, for me to want to do that before, I I had to major in broadcasting. I had to to get a job in it. I had to find someone who wanted to hire me. But now it is so special about this time in our in our existence is that people can do this on their own mm-hmm. they can decide this is a message i really want to get out there they can do be a youtuber do a youtube channel or a podcast or something like that and um i'm not the real expert at exactly how to how to promote that and get that that message out but with a little research that's the other amazing thing about our our time we live in they can can google it or they can can get get in touch with uh, you know other people that that could give them some some help to do that and so if you have a message that you want to get out there research how to do it figure it out get the right kind of equipment know how to to put it on there find out some way to promote it and uh, you know if your message is meaningful to you if you have a lot of passion about whatever it is then there are ways that you can do it and with enough passion I think you'll be successful. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, my my final thoughts on that, too, are I love this quote by Les Brown, and it's a quite famous quote, but he says, you know, when you're on your deathbed, he talks about being on your deathbed and having the angry eyes stare down at you of the books you didn't write <laughs> and the messages you didn't share and, and kind of talks about these regrets that you have at the end of your life and, and looking and researching and talking to different people and reading different materials. What I've learned is that the overall regret of somebody that's on their deathbed is, is not having community communicated their message more, not having made a greater impact, both with the people they love, the fam- their family, their friends, their community, but also with the world of feeling like they're they're dying with that message and that legacy inside of them. And one of the beautiful things about communicating and leaving your messages, whether it be through books or through broadcasting or through podcasts, is that nowadays there's so many opportunities to do that and you're leaving a legacy of your message and who you are for all of your kids. And I feel so grateful looking back at those tapes of you, looking back at all the years of the work that you've done of this amazing legacy that's all been captured on film. And um, and looking back, and I know one of the things that you even did is before my grandparents passed away, 
you interviewed them on film and put that on film and capture mm-hmm. that for for the posterity. So uh, my encouragement is to share your message, leave your legacy. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Dad. I had a really yeah. fun time. And until next week, when we'll interview somebody else who is changing the world, probably not as in much of a profound way, because obviously you had me, but <laughs> we will. Uh, until then, this is Allison H. Larson, and I've been with my dad here today in studio, Jay Hildebrandt. Thank you for joining us for the show. Thank you for making us a part of your week. Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show, can be heard live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Now, go make a difference and be sure to tune in again for the next show.